What's up, sisters? We all know that we're going through a lot in premenopause and perimenopause with our hormones already, you know, running amok a little bit of our lives and of our bodies. But what if you have an even further hormonal or metabolic syndrome like PCOS? We're going to talk today with a very special guest, an expert in the field on PCOS so that you can understand, do you have it? you know, the impact of it in perimenopause and your first steps to beginning to heal yourself if you are struggling in this area. Got hormone problems? This episode is for you. But if you are someone who is ready to take the next step and you know that it's not just as simple as having the strategy, but you really need that mindset work, that constant reminder to not jump ship and look at other options and have FOMO in other places. If you're someone who wants a real customized experience and wants to look at it specifically in your life, in your hormones, I want to invite you to apply for my one month one-on-one hormone rebalancing coaching program. It's a one-month intensive where we dive into your life and we get a plan created that's unique for you and keep you accountable to that plan. A lot of times we're scared to invest in ourselves because we're worried we're going to fail, but that's the catch-22. When you invest in yourself, there's a real transference of energy because you don't want to fail after you've completed that investment. Let me take the thinking out of it. Let's hop on a call, apply for one of these spots, and not only will you get the strategy to heal yourself that's customized to you, but you will make sure you follow through on this and get the results in your body, whether that's healing your hormones, releasing the weight, repairing your energy, or just overall feeling like you again. All right, sisters, grab a pen and pencil or your iPhone and your notes. Let's dive into this week's episode. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey sisters, it is Bria here, the host of the Period Whisperer podcast, top 5% podcast in the wellness industry. And I am sitting here with a really special guest today. And I think you guys are going to get so much out of this episode. I have Dr. Jennifer Rollins, who's an integrative medicine trained OBGYN speaker, podcaster, and mother of four, which we all know is massive, and the CEO of Well Women MD, a virtual women's health clinic founded on the passion for reimagining a more holistic approach to women's health care. She specializes in PCOS, hormones 
hormones and gut health. And she partners with women to find out the root cause of their symptoms so they can have energy and predictability in their periods, weight, and fertility and feel like themselves again. So I think after reading that bio, anyone who's been listening to the Period Whisperer podcast for a while probably has a pretty clear understanding of why we wanted you here on this podcast, Dr. Roland. So thank you so much for being here and welcome. Thank you. I'm very excited to chat with you today. This is, uh, of course, my jam, all things women's health. <laughs> I know. It's, I love it. I love it. It's my jam too. And it's, it's always so nice to connect with other women who want to talk about it because I really think that obviously that awareness and this discussion of the like bringing the conversation to light is really that first step for so many of us to recognize you know what really is going on and and to get excited about it and not think of it as such a, a Debbie Downer thing all the time. Exactly. And also to talk to our, our younger, you know, like our children. I mean, yes. our women that are going to be budding women soon about kind of their body and how how to have these conversations with other people and not be shy about it. Absolutely. You're you're totally right. You know, and the more we know and the more open we are about talking about it, the more that leaks down to that next generation and kind of creates change, doesn't it? So, oh, I'm so excited. And I know, you know, before when we were talking about this interview, I want everyone to know who's listening, like there's so many areas, obviously we could go down, but I was, I was looking forward to really diving into PCOS specifically, because I know this is one of your many areas of expertise. Um, and I know it's a real, a real issue for a lot of women and, and yet it doesn't have to be. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your story, about how you, you came to, you know, as an OBGYN like being here in your practice and, um, and really your experience with, with the female hormones. Yeah. So I think like a lot of doctors who get into integrated medicine, we have our personal story of why we needed, um, to find other tools to heal our own body. Mm -hmm. And that is certainly the case for me. I had infertility 13 years ago. Um, and I was just struggling to get pregnant for over a year. It was getting closer to two years. And I really, in my heart, felt like I had PCOS. And I, my own OB, really, and at the time, was like, there's no way you could have PCOS. You're skinny. Like, it's not possible. It's not a thing. And so I started having to figure out how to advocate myself. And I ordered my own labs. <laughs> and, I, and I ended up having a testosterone level of 80. And what's normal? What's a what's a uh, typical testosterone level for people listening? Well, so labs can sort of give you a normal range, typically over forty or fifty, depending on which lab you're talking about. Is is high? Like that's high. And you were eighty, and I was eighty. Yeah, I was eighty at the time, and so and I had very irregular periods. I had you know three to four months apart. I mean. I had the typical, you know, features, which we could talk about too, the the typical features of PCOS. And so I was diagnosed with PCOS or lean PCOS at the time with skinny PCOS. There's been a lot of different terms that are used in the medical community. And, um, but I also was struggling with terrible fatigue and having constipation and my hair was falling out and some other type symptoms that at the time I actually didn't really recognize as a problem. I thought it was all PCOS related, but ended up also having Hashimoto's. So I personally have PCOS and Hashimoto's and ended up taking Synthroid for fertility and having to use um, Clomid to try to get pregnant. So I had a lot of sort of uphill battles (laughs) to Mm. be able to get pregnant. And once I was able to get pregnant with my son, um, then afterwards I was just noticing, you know, I just don't feel good. I'm on the birth control pill. Like they tell me I'm on Synthroid for my thyroid, but I'm just exhausted all the time. Mm -hmm. My hair is still falling out. 
And a lot of times, you know, I was sort of told, well, you have two children and you're an OBGYN, so your hours are crazy, which is true. And it's all related to your lifestyle. But I just didn't feel in my heart there's there had to be something else to the story. Mm -hmm. Like something else has to be missing here. And I, in my mind, it also occurred all these patients who had said the same thing to me, right? They had been where I'm like, I think, no, I think it's because you're tired and you have kids and you're busy. Yeah. And I knew that I had been telling patients that as well. Yeah. And it really made me dive into taking nutrition classes and learning how much nutrition factors into our health mm -hmm. and realizing for my Hashimoto's, I was going to have to make some changes with what I ate and have to make some changes with, you know, the type of exercise. Cause I was a hardcore exercise person that was, you know, five times a week, like running, like hardcore exercise. I had to make some big nutrition and lifestyle changes. And the more I dove into that area of medicine, which I did not get in medical school, nutrition, especially, and realizing that, wow, there's a big piece missing here that I need to bring to my patients and I need to do it to heal myself first. Yeah. So as I was sort of healing myself and realizing that I was feeling better by changing what I ate when I slept, you know, my supplements and like changing my life, mm -hmm. um, I was starting to do that with other patients and helping mm -hmm. them with their fertility issues and with diagnosing PCOS and understanding from a different perspective. And it really changed the way that I started practicing medicine. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Because we don't always realize how bad we're actually feeling, right? Because if we don't, if we don't have a window into how good we could feel, um, it's hard to even realize how, how uncomfortable you even are in your body and that it's not normal. So that's amazing that you were able to start to recognize it in yourself, heal it in yourself, and then pay that forward almost immediately. Yeah. And I remember at the time, I also had this lovely patient that I um, had sent to a fertility doctor as well, who was having difficulty getting pregnant and also had PCOS. So her and I were kind of on a journey together to, <laughs> to figure this out. And she ultimately ended up spontaneously conceiving two more children uh, while she was my patient for 13 years by just fixing, realizing what was driving her PCOS and ultimately fixing those things and, and was able to sort of have regular cycles. That's interesting. So, okay. That's awesome. I'm mean, it's how exciting. And so why don't you tell everyone like, what is PCOS? Yeah. So PCOS is an abbreviation for polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and, and syndrome, when you see anything that has the word syndrome, IBS, there's several different syndromes. Right. It means it's a diagnosis of exclusion, which means you've had to have thought about all the other things that could be leading to a patient's symptoms and ruled them out. And then they kind of become in this constellation of mm. symptoms and they're called a syndrome because there is no true definitive test for that. You can't just say, I'm going to go get the PCOS test <laughs> and then you get a, a test for it. So you have to, you know, have to exclude things like thyroid problems mm -hmm. um, and a common mistake that's made is hypothalamic amenorrhea or the, essentially the brain talking to the ovaries and there's sort of a disconnect between that, which yep. is another common cause of irregular periods. Um, and, and depending on what symptoms we're talking about, but you have to sort of exclude all the other reasons why someone could have symptoms of PCOS, which typically are irregular cycles. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's acne, real bad cystic acne on the face, um, hair loss mm -hmm. and thinning of the hair that can happen, weight gain, very common symptoms, mood problems, um, could be anxiety, depression, edgy. Those are all associated with PCOS. Um, and people can often have, actually, weirdly enough, you, if you look up PCOS symptoms, you'll find a list that includes about 40 symptoms because there can be even unusual things like joint pain, 
mm-hmm. dental issues, being sick often. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of sort of uncommon symptoms associated with PCOS. Right. Oh, wow. And so how do we know if someone, so we know it's a hormonal, it's a syndrome that it's like, as you said, you, we have excluded all these other things. And so what are the experience, I guess you're saying there's 40 plus, what are the most common things that a woman would experience? Um, and at what age, like, can, is this something we can learn? We, we know early on, or it sounds like for you, it was really around childbearing years. That's where more women present to their doctor because they are trying to get pregnant and then they, you know, they get off their pill and then they realize, why are my cycles three months apart, four months apart? What's going on? Why are they so irregular? So usually we see a lot of patients in that time frame because they're trying to to get pregnant and realizing their cycles are irregular. But, you know, the two big sort of criteria for diagnosis are irregular cycles. So outside of this standard 21 to 35 day range um, and evidence of elevated androgens. So it could be by blood work, or it could be by physical symptoms like acne, hair growth in places that are typically more male patterned, um, you know, along your belly, or you can have, you know, hair, darker hair on your arms, or even hair on your face. Um, And so physical symptoms or blood work that show elevated androgen levels. Right. Okay. And, um, and so when you're like, is it realistic to think that women as they, you know, when we know that as women kind of head towards the real pre-menopause years, we have a natural irregularity of our period happening. You know, is it possible that someone might not know until those years, even that they're experiencing that they have PCOS if they, maybe if they haven't had children? Yeah, I think it does come up where people are perimenopausal and they start noticing their cycles are getting a little bit um, off, you know, by so perimenopause is by just using the criteria of cycles is your your cycles are changing by more than seven days, right, each month consecutively. So um, there are patients who are in their mid 40s who go, maybe I have PCOS now, like what's going on with my cycles? Right, but, you, right. but for the criteria, even it doesn't matter if we use the Rotterdam criteria or the androgen excess society, excess society criteria, you still need evidence of male, or male of the androgens. I hate the word male because it's we have androgens, but yeah, yeah. elevated of androgen levels. So it's you need both for the for diagnosis. So they would also have to have some other component there, either by blood work or physical signs that they have androgen levels that are that are high. And so with the first part, like when we're realizing, you know, for women who've made, and, and there's, it's likely that a lot of women maybe listening have known they've had PCOS for a long time. Um, it sounds like you were saying one of the main ways to begin to heal is understanding the driver of your PCOS. What does that mean? Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So a lot of times people consider PCOS a GYN problem. Well, you affects your cycles, you can't get pregnant, so therefore it's a GYN problem. Mm-hmm. But really, PCOS is a metabolic problem as mm-hmm. well as a GYN issue. So it's really metabolic problem. If you if you sort of look at um people describe it as sort of a pre-diabetic state because there are certain drivers for people's symptoms. Mm-hmm. So someone may have insulin resistance, up to 80% of women have insulin resistance. Although I will tell you that some of the leading experts say everybody has insulin resistance with PCOS. Um, inflammation is a big component. Some people have inflammation that drives their symptoms right. and some people have gut health issues. So there, we know from studies that the microbiome, the little bacteria in our gut, is very different. The diversity of those microbiome, those little bacteria is different in a PCOS patient. Mm -hmm. So we know there are some patients because of this change in the type of bacteria that's in there causes them to have um, gut health. It's not really, uh, you know, it's, it's not, um, 
optimized. And because of that, then there's sex hormones because estrogen need estrogen metabolism needs the gut to be functioning appropriately. And you can imagine that their estrogen metabolism is off. Mm-hmm. So it can make their PCOS symptoms worse. Mm-hmm. So focusing on gut health. So I usually with patients will um, t- try to find out what's the components of their PCOS, like what is driving their symptoms? So do they have inflammation? Do they have insulin resistance? Do they have gut health issues? And then address those particular things. And that's how you can reverse their symptoms and heal their PCOS. Right. All holistically. Yeah. I mean, and it may, so the word holistic, I think sometimes I would say people assume that means natural, right? Like you're going to use supplements or food. I I think it depends on what, if we're talking about say insulin resistance, there are patients that use metformin for insulin resistance and patients that use inositol or cinnamon or berberine. So it's kind of, or just frankly food. So I would say, I always consider all of that in sort of the holistic approach, because I think of it as a whole body approach. That's that's what holistic means to me. And whichever way feels good for you and works for you, then great. You know? That's the way we got to do it. Yeah, I love that. Actually, it's a really beautiful way of explaining it. It is, but it's, it's the entire kind of way of looking at it and what feels right for you. Um, okay, so we understand what PCOS is and, you know, the beginning of understanding the root of it. Before we kind of get into, you know, ways that people can start to help themselves with it, what are what do you notice about PCOS specifically, again, in these, like in the perimenopause and even the menopause years? Like, how does it, if it left untreated, how does it feel in the body? What's worse about it? What, you know, maybe what's dangerous about it? Yeah. So this is why I love working with PCOS patients, because I think what we don't talk to patients about as physicians, we don't tell them the implications of what's going to happen to you. If we always say, okay, it's about getting pregnant, right? Let's help you fix the fertility issues and get pregnant. Well, really we should be saying, okay, now you're 25 years old. If we really sort of optimize what's going on with your body and and look at it from a metabolic standpoint, then when you're 35, you're less likely to be diabetic. Mm. When you're 45, you're less likely to have heart disease. When you're 55, you're going to have better bone health. So there's these down the road implications because we know that 50% of women with PCOS will become diabetic by 40. So why not change that statistic? 50%? Is that what you said? Yeah, 50% chance, especially if you had gestational diabetes in one of your pregnancies. Your rate is definitely higher. Just just off the bat, being gestational diabetic puts you at a 50% chance of becoming diabetic later on. Then you Mm -hmm. add PCOS to the mix. You're talking about two two reasons why someone just really has metabolic dysfunction. And until you address that, then it just continues unchecked. And then they do become, you know, there's a much higher chance to become diabetic. And if you become diabetic, then your heart disease risk goes up. And you become diabetic, obesity risk goes up. And, you know, it all kind of comes and cancer. We know now there's so many new studies now looking at the the link between obesity and cancer. Right. And so it's all a matter of like, in my mind, what we need to do is really focus on trying to tell people this is what PCOS is. Even if you're not planning on having children or you're in the middle of trying to have a baby, let's look at how we can actually help you heal your body now and stay in check with it as you age so that you don't end up being one of those people that later on is suddenly facing, oh my gosh, I have diabetes or obesity or heart disease or all of these things that come up. So I really find it meaningful when I sort of can work with a patient and say, hey, like you got your insulin resistance fixed and this is going to be great for you even during your pregnancy and post-pregnancy. And now at 40, you're going to be the one you know, kicking, you know what, and taking names uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 40 when there are other people who are suddenly faced with these challenges that they didn't realize they had. 
And that's just one component, the insulin resistance. We didn't even talk about inflammation or gut health. Ah. All of those things you can you can look at them and say, okay, unchecked, this could happen 10 years, 15, 20, 30. Yeah. yeah. And that's not even just to talk about general well-being and how you feel in yourself, right? And yeah. and the opportunity cost of not feeling really well in your own self. Like those are the major issues that can happen. But you know, even if those don't happen, if we're not if we're not in a balance, or if we're not in a healing space, then you know, overall we just don't feel like ourselves. And and when you don't feel like yourself, we're not when you're not operating, I think, at the capacity that you can, then that does that cost that's a cost to your life, I guess, isn't it? To your relationships to your success, to everything else. Um, This is maybe not a a typical question, but obviously when you're working with someone, you know, knowing humans and how we work and how we're motivated, when you're working with clients who are trying to have a baby, that's a real high motivator, right? Just kind of like... you know, women who, who want to fit into their wedding dress might be more motivated <laughs> to lose weight, you know, cause they're getting married after we have babies, you know, obviously, of course we want our health, but that doesn't seem to be as key of a mental motivator for people. You know, what are, what do you, what do you find for women or how do you suggest for women to find that motivation within what do you, what works for you when it comes to being motivated to stay, you know, on a path when you don't have a very key performance indicator, like having a baby, you know, or getting into that dress. What is it that works for you to keep you going? Yeah, I think you said something was really important there that, you know, when you start feeling good, Mm. it's pretty motivating. When you sort of wake up and you're not dragging all day and you're not taking, going, where's the next cup of coffee? Or you fit in your jeans or you have energy or you kind of enjoy going for a walk as opposed to going, Oh no, please. I don't want to have to do this because this is terrible. Like that can be very, very motivating. And that's actually what I see in my patients that I work with is they'll, they'll be like, Oh my God, I slept great. Like it was great to sleep finally. And it was great to have my anxiety under check. And I think that I see a lot more people, I would say post baby, you know, post having their children and their sort of like early forties who are developing anxiety, depression with PCOS and weight gain. And then they're like, oh my gosh, what can I do about this? And and so when they start noticing like, Hey, I kind of, things are staying stable with my weight. I'm feeling less anxious. I feel better. It's, it is very motivating to, to continue to do what you're doing. And my strategy is always to find out a way to make it like, this is your new lifestyle, not not dieting, not exercising, not, you know, making this about overhauling your life. It's about what can we do to like, make this sort of like enjoyable to live this way. Right. Yeah. I I still eat dessert. I'm, I'm a dessert fanatic. I love dessert, but I, I'm more conscious about when I eat it, what I choose to eat and combining, like I have my piece of chocolate with peanut butter because I know that the peanut butter and chocolate works better for me, like with my blood glucose levels. So like I, I still enjoy those things in life. I just have to make sure that I'm doing them within the parameters of what works for my body. Tough compromise, adding that peanut butter to the chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was so happy on my CGM when I was like, yes, I had to get get rid of my Trader Joe's Oreos because me and Trader Uh, Joe's Oreos did not go well, but but my dark chocolate and peanut butter was worked out great with my CGM. So I'm like, sweet. I can keep that in the 
the little... CGM is a control <laughs> glucose monitor and yeah. it's, uh, it's, I had, I tried one as well and I found it to be a fascinating thing. So I know I did a podcast episode with a company that does it. So for anyone listening, you can go back and listen to that, but it's a, what, what, what Dr. Rollins is talking about here is just a, a way to understand, you know, what is impacting your blood sugar levels going up and down. And that matters metabolically, right? It matters for your PCOS. It matters for your insulin, for your weight loss, for your energy and all of it. So it's a I really use cool. it a lot with PCOS patients because understanding the foods that love you back mm-hmm. is so great. Like you can do so much when you understand what foods love you back. Like yeah. it makes a big difference because you can suddenly change your nutrition and not be about taking things away without yeah. adding. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's we 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 often think that changing our life is going to be a lot of work, but it can actually be less work when we kind of step into the lane of what it is. It's sometimes it's just, well, it's just doing less of this, you know? And then when you know what, as you say, when you know what foods love you back, then it becomes a much easier transition, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Love the foods that love you back. So then let's talk about food. Cause obviously as you were saying, like nutrition specifically and diving into nutrition and the education around it was a big part of what helped you heal your own PCOS. And because nutrition, obviously, you know, it impacts those kind of key root causes you were talking about, right? Whether it's inflammation, whether it's gut health, you know, what, what did you find or what was that pathway for you? Or how do you work with your clients around nutrition to help them move that needle forward? Yeah. And I'll, I'll say about the, um, drivers too. I did create a quiz because a lot of patients would ask me like, how do I know what's, how do I know what to ask my doctor for? And how do I know what's, what it is? So I I made this, uh, 10 question quiz that actually gives you results and tells you like, Oh, okay. You you're in the inflammation category. I would suggest that you get these labs in the results. So it's on my, it's on my um, website on the freebie section, and I can give you the link if you want, but I found that to be really helpful because I think patients do kind of go, well, I mean, how do I even go and ask my doctor? If I go there and say, I want insulin resistance labs, they're going to be like, what? So I I sort of help, you know, through that quiz, people can kind of figure out which category they are in. But I see nutrition as I'm not a diet person. I I think working with women for 15 years, like you tell them that they can't eat chocolate. The only thing they want is chocolate. Like that's the way it's worked for 15 years. And so for me, it's about trying to figure out what foods work really well for them. What can we do to, to change what you're already doing to maximize, um, what you need to do. So for instance, like I love waffles, like waffles are my Saturday jam. I love them. And I'm not giving them up, even though I have insulin resistance and PCOS and I'm 45 and all the reasons why I should give up waffles. Right. But what I do know is I can have waffles if I put um, sunflower butter on there and chia seeds Mm -hmm. and I can still enjoy my waffle because for me, putting that fat and that protein and the fiber works fine for my blood glucose. Mm -hmm. So I realized sort of that. I can do that. I can still enjoy what I want and it keeps me more full. Right. When I used to have the waffles with the syrup and butter, I want to eat in an hour and cravings are a very big part of PCOS as we know. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that those, that what we try to do with clients and patients is try to say, okay, what do you enjoy? Like, what do you love? What do you not love? How can we tweak what you're doing to make this better for you from a hormone perspective? And certainly if it, if you have inflammation or insulin resistance or gut health, all three of those things, there's certain things that you can do to add to your, what you eat every single day to address those specifically. And so trying to really work with uh, where someone's at and what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, like that's really kind of 
personalized medicine, which I think is really what every patient deserves is personalized medicine. And that's what I try to do. Oh, that's fascinating. So it's, it's not even, uh, you know, an initial stepping stone to getting there. It's just, are there certain foods though, that you can share with people or certain things that, you know, nutrition wise that do, we know no matter what irritate PCOS specifically? Yeah. So I, I follow a couple of like, I would say guidelines. So I'm a big, um, advocate of no naked carbs. If you ever listen yeah. to the glucose goddess. And I love her. her yes. Yeah. Um, your carb needs a buddy. <laughs> your carb needs a buddy. Yes. And that is so important because if we think even 80% of women have PCOS, then we need to sort of put that into the factor, the insulin resistance component. And mm-hmm. as you age, you know, just age alone puts you in that category of one in two women who might have insulin resistance postmenopausal, just yeah. from what happens to us as our hormones go down. So the no naked carb is really important and that's pairing your carbs with protein and fat. So no naked carbs, putting, putting them with protein fat. Every single time you sit down, think about, I can't just have the waffle. I got to have something with it, or I can't just have the muffin. I need something. I mean, muffins aren't great anyway, but you know, whatever the carb is, it needs to have, um, needs to have it. The other thing is that, uh, in general, sort of the, I I don't like, it's not really fasting, but really following that sort of 12 hour eating window, Mm -hmm. right? So really focusing on making sure that you're really not eating more than a 12 hour window. The body needs time to spring clean at night. Like it needs time to get rid of all the toxins, to let the liver heal, to let the gut heal, to rest and digest. And it really can't do that if you're eating for 16 hours out of 24 hours. You need to really pare it down. And there's a, a lot of good data, a lot of different studies that sort of show that that time restricted eating that 12 hour window is, is, is a sort of a minimum for our body to be able to, to address all three of those factors, insulin resistance, inflammation, and gut health. Cause inflammation, the big can be the gut that's, the, that's a leaky gut issue. Mm. And then insulin resistance for sure. If you're eating and eating and eating, yeah. <laughs> your body never has time to have downtime. It sees sugar all the time. And it causes a lot of problems with um, cravings and certainly a lot of issues with weight gain and other things that come through there. So those those two things are definitely really important. And then when we talk about specific foods, you can never go wrong with veggies. Like mm. your grandma used to say, like yeah. your plate should be more vegetables than anything else. Yeah. So, and we focus a lot in the, in the U.S. about like the meat being the big thing. And then we have a little tiny side <laughs> portion of vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of have it a little different than what grandma used to do, right? Yeah. It used to be so much more about like, eat your veggies, eat your veggies. Yeah. So really a variety of vegetables, not just like broccoli every single day, but a variety of vegetables mm. and, and making sure half of your plate is non-starchy vegetables. You mm-hmm. can't go wrong. I mm-hmm. mean, and pick the ones you like, don't eat stuff you don't like. Yeah. Nobody says you have to eat broccoli if you hate broccoli. Like, yeah. There's a million different vegetables. Go find something that's interesting. It should really be that those are sort of the, the star of what we're eating. And then the other things are, are kind of the sidekicks, you know? Yeah. I I love that. So there's three things you kind of said. One, no naked carbs. Two, really keeping to that kind of 12-hour fasting window. And three, like max out on your veggies. And, you know, we're talking about this pertaining to PCOS, but like those are three nutritional rules that will optimize your health no matter what you're going through in your life. I think they'll help you if you're sick, if you're not sick, if you're struggling in perimenopause and menopause, if you're not, if you're trying to lose weight or you're not, they're really three ways to optimize the health of your body. So those are three awesome, awesome tips. And I love that you shared, you know, your quiz. I will put that quiz in the, in the show notes for everyone so that they can have a better understanding of 
you know, if they're struggling with PCOS. And again, I think even if not, like what area of their body might be driving the hormonal discomfort? Can they take the quiz and still maybe get that information? Yeah, yeah. So it, it, the quiz results page goes and it'll tell you, okay, you inflammation is the driver. You should think about these things. These may be some tips that you might start off right off the bat. And then it certainly gives you information about the um, six-week course if you want to take do a self-guided course to help you heal your PCOS because you really can. I mean, the word heal is to be sound or healthy. We yeah. think of it as cure. That's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Heal your PCOS is like to be sound or healthy with PCOS. That's yeah. totally attainable by anyone. So yeah. it really kind of helps you kind of take that information and go, okay, Dr. Rollins' quiz says inflammation. I'm going to really look in this course into the inflammation uh, sections, but you also have all of the other ones. The six mm-hmm. weeks module really about everything that I do that I work with one-on-one patients. So talks about what labs you should definitely get with your doctor every single year, what labs that you should be getting for diagnosis. And it talks about how to fix insulin resistance, inflammation, gut health, how, what to do for exercise, what's legitimate. Oh, with I love this. Yes. There's a whole section on, um, on mind body medicine and breath work and uh, meditation and things that you might could add to your, you know, are to it. And then a whole section on toxins and mm-hmm. the concept of eliminating toxins and what to do about that and how, what does toxins have anything to do with our hormones? So there's, it's really kind of like um, what I do with patients one-on-one, but in a self-guided way, you just do it yourself. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So this is a six. So for anyone listening, you know, Dr. Rollins is just telling us about her six week. It's is it called Heal Your PCOS? Uh-huh. Yeah, Heal Your PCOS course. And I love, you know, you're saying it. So it includes talking to people about their extra, you know, exercise that they can do that because that's a big question for people. And I certainly know a lot of the issues in perimenopause with this hormonal like ups and downs. We have to be careful about the exercise that we're choosing because it has a an impact on how we're feeling. A lot of it right now is an is an energy supply and demand, isn't it? And I obviously PCOS throws another wrench into it. But gut health, inflammation, toxins, mind body. So it sounds like a really incredible course. I will put that the link for that as well for anyone in the show notes. But uh thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer. Thank you for this. It's been such an incredible opportunity to sit down with you. And uh do you have any last words or any self-love? Um tidbits you could share with it uh, with us as we depart today? Yeah, I think the really important part is that you're not alone. Like you are not alone if you have PCOS. It feels very isolating sometimes that people don't understand what you're going through because it is things when you have it, like things change. You could be totally somebody very different five years later or 10 years later or 15 years later, things can change. And so you're not alone. There are people that can help you And don't give up if you have seen a provider and they were not able to help you or not willing to help you. Like there are people that can. So just know, go with your gut, right? Go with your gut instinct that, you know, something's up and you want to, you want to change that. Thank you so much. That's amazing. I know you help so many women and I think just knowing that they can come to you and get some clear direction on these pieces on what labs to ask their own doctor to come to you specifically is, is such a blessing. So thank you so much for being here today and for all that you shared. I'm grateful for you. Thank you very much. Bye. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.